come and taking time out of their schedule to be with us this day. We ask that you bless it all. And as we go into your word, we ask that you will just place it into the good soil of our hearts, that you will be glorified thereby. We thank you and honor you, God, for this day, for it's the day that you have made and the ability that you have given us to rejoice in, to, and be glad in it. We thank you for it all. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 We are now on episode number 10 of our series, One Team, One Vision, One Mission, One Voice. Can we say that? One team, one vision, one mission, one voice. One more time. One team, one vision, one mission, and one voice. And we have happened to find ourselves now into the mission section of the series. When we first started out, we were talking about oneness. And we talked about how God was one. And when he created man, he created it as an example of his oneness. We heard Jesus talk about oneness when he was telling us that he wanted us to operate as one just like him and the father operated as one then we looked at examples of oneness we looked at the tower of babel and then how they messed everything up and then we looked at the day of pentecost when the spirit of god unified everyone then we moved from that to talk about specifically teams and we talked about how a team is configured of more than one person. And we saw how team is something that has been established by God since the beginning of time. We also looked at as a, an example of someone with a team was able to overcome 400 to 1 odds. Then we talked about that smallest denomination of a team being two people. Then we start talking about every part of the team is essential. We talked about how the team can, uh, any, part, any part of the team that is not there or available affects the entire team. Then we looked at vision and we talked about how vision allows us to see beyond where we currently are located. Looked at how Jesus, when he died on the cross, the Spirit of God came in and empowered everyone on this earth with vision. We talked about the effect of vision and how vision gives us hope because we can see our future better than what it is today. Then we transitioned into mission. And we found out that mission is actually a task that is given to a group or individual that is in line with the vision that is given. So we can say that mission is a task that is given in line with the vision. We're going to go over these definitions again. And I told you I'm going to give you all these definitions until y'all probably start saying them as I'm saying them. The first definition that we wanted to talk that we talked about was one. One is single by union, undivided, the same united, unified, I'm mean, the same unified and whole. 
The definition of team, a number of persons associated together in work or activity. Under team, we talked about symbiosis. We talked about collaboration. Then we talked about vision. Vision is the ability to think about or plan the future with imagination or wisdom. Then, just recently, we started talking about mission. And we talked about mission being a specific task with which a, a person or a group is charged. Mission is a specific task with which a person or a group is charged. If you miss those definitions, go to the YouTube and you can actually slow it down and listen to it again and again till you get them locked in. Our first scripture that we're going to look at today is going to be Genesis, the second chapter, starting at that 15th verse. And I am in the English Standard Version, and it says that the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. The Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever he called, whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And, and the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. And so we see that God, when God created man, he put man into the earth and man's mission was to be the tender. He was the one, the one that was going to be responsible for creating the environment by which everything would live. And in order to do that, he had to provide designations on everything. So we talk about today, they talk about in science how we only use 10 percent of the capacity of our brain. So for Adam to have been able to name everything that God calls across his path meant that he was using a higher capacity of his brain than what we probably currently use today. But Adam did all this. His mission was just to take care of the field, make sure everything was well, take care of the, the garden where he was and make sure that everything functioned in the way that it was designed. And we went a little bit more in depth into that last week. But this week, I want us to look at another time that a mission was given. We know that when we talked about team, how Moses had sent out 12 leaders to go and spy out the land. And when they came back, 10 of those leaders said that we couldn't do it. And so it ended up that they, the children of Israel were not able to go into the land. That God had promised them and they had to wander 40 more years in the desert because of that. But there were two, Joshua and Caleb, who said that we can take it and they got an opportunity to continue to live and to be able to see the promise of God. Next thing we know. Moses dies. 
Joseph now becomes the leader. Joshua, I'm sorry. Joshua becomes the leader. And God says, listen, the vision is still the same. You all are going to have this land that I promised you. And so in the second chapter of Joshua, we see where Joshua is given the mission to begin to go and accomplish what the vision that God had for that nation. And so Joshua, the second chapter, starting at that first verse, and this is where we're going to spend the rest of the next three hours. Uh, Joshua, second chapter, the first verse. Somebody said no to three hours. Okay, we'll make it. We'll make it four hours. All right, it's all good. Joshua, the second chapter. Before I get seen on camera throwing something at the lady Yolanda. The first verse says this. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Quick little backstory on, on what's going on. Remember the first time that someone sent somebody to spy out, he sent 12. And two came back and gave a good report. So what did Joshua do? He said, I ain't sending but two. And y'all better say the right thing when I send y'all, right? So he sends out two. These two go out. And it doesn't designate them as saying that they are leaders of the organization. Joshua picked two to go forth. And their mission was to go out and spy the land, especially Jericho. Jericho was essential to the conquering of the land because Jericho was like going into the land. It was the first major city in the land that they were to conquer. And so as they were going out, they went to the house of the prostitute. Now, folks will say, well, why did they go to the house of the prostitute? Because there were strangers in the city, and that's where a lot of the strangers went. They would go to the different cities to visit the prostitutes because the prostitutes would just let anybody come into the house. If they would try to go into one of the town people's house, then it would look quite peculiar, but because they always had folks coming in and out of the brothel, then it didn't, they tried to make it look like there was nothing really going on. The other thing back in those days, usually, and y'all see it in the Old West, usually when they had the saloons, this is where the prostitutes were, where the hotels were. Everything was kind of consolidated into this, into this one spot. So you would think of a person was traveling, they would go to the brothel. But this one was owned by Rahab. Rahab, as we find out, really had it going on. Now, not only were the strangers in this brothel, and as we look at this second verse, we see that, and it was told to the king of Jericho, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. So that meant some of the people, wait a minute, some of the people who was in the prostitute house? Okay, anyway, so they was there and they went back and told the king. And so we may think that because they understood that people that were coming in and out, strangers, maybe the king had some folks in there so they could kind of get information. You know, 
a lot of times that's where all the gossip and stuff was going on. So he wanted to make sure that he knew what was going on in the town. And then it says in the third verse, it says, then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. Now, I was laughing at this because I was I was like, does the king say and bring all these men that have come or was she having a bad week? And only those are the only two that showed up that week. I don't know. But I was just thinking about how he said, bring all the men. And then I was like, okay, OK, anyway. So she says, bring all these men. And she she goes on in that fourth verse, the fifth verse. Fourth. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. Okay. Now we know that Rahab is lying, but she's lying because she's going to explain herself later on. She says, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. Now we know the precursor says that she knew where they were from. And so she hid them so that the king's men would not find them. Y'all with me? And, just, and, and when the gate was about to close at dark, the men went out. I do not know where they went. Okay, listen to what she says. I don't know where they went. Pursue them quickly, for you overtake them. If you don't know where they went, how you know we're going to catch them? She's she getting ready to hit you with this. She says, uh, but she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to Jordan as far as the fords. Now, this was approximately a day and a half away. So they're trying to catch these guys as they are going, as Rahab has said, in this direction in order to pursue them to find out what they were spying out on their land regarding. So they're chasing after them. But then it lets us see that she had hid them in her house well actually not in her house she took them up on the roof and on the roof the roofs were flat and it says that they had flax flax is, is like reeds that she had laid out and they what they used the flax for was for making uh clothes uh they would also use it as a uh something to make uh fire with a uh, kindling i couldn't think of that word kindling they would start they would use this flax for everything so if Rahab and them had flax, that means they probably had some land that they also were taking care of. So the brothel, the hotel probably was not their primary uh, business. It was the secondary business. And they probably had a patch of land that the king had them to, uh, what do you want to say, maintain for agricultural reasons. And so. What would happen in these cities is that once the gates closed at night, the cities would be sealed. And so she was saying, hey, as the, as the, as the, as the gates were closing, these guys actually ran out so that, you know, so that they would not be locked in the city to give an indication that they are not locked in the city. Because traditionally, if they were sneaking in, that's what they would do. They wouldn't stay in there overnight because then somebody would find them out. But because she had hid them, these guys were okay. And so, so the men pursued after them on the way to Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut 
as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So they opened up the gates again. They sent the posse out to go catch these guys. And then they locked the gates down. They shut the, the city back down. And then she said, before the men lay down or went to sleep, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know the Lord has given you. Listen to what she says. I know the Lord. Now, remember, these are not Israelites. She is, she is, she's a Jericonian. <laughs> Just made up that name. She, she's a Jericonian. She, okay, yeah, she's a Jerichan. All right. Okay, she's from Jericho. We'll just say she's from Jericho. All right. She's from Jericho, and she does not know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But she says, I know the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. She goes on and says, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. Now, I want to give you an understanding of this part because this happened like 80 years before. And this story is still going on. This is still this is how potent that their God is. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, the Siham and Og whom you devoted to destruction. They went through and they destroyed these two kings because these kings, what they did was, as the, they saw the Israelites traveling, they would see that they would wait until the, the, the majority of the, uh, the caravan went by and then they would attack the lesser parts of the caravan. And so they ended up getting themselves killed. And it says in verse number 11, it says, as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, which means they just gave up. They were just like, oh, if he can make the water part, if he can make them able to defeat uh, the gods of the, I mean, the, the kings of the Amorites, man, what is going to happen to us? And it says, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you, for the Lord your God, he is the God in the heavens above and on the earth underneath. I mean, she starts doing a little sermonette for him. She's saying, we already know that you guys' God is the greatest God. Now, all these guys, remember what their mission was. Their mission was just to go and spy out the land. But now they're running into this lady, this lady who gets information from everybody in the city because she owns the place where everybody hangs out. And she's saying, this is what the, city, this is what the people in the city are saying. They didn't even have to really scout. All they had to do was meet her, and she's giving them all the information to, for them to go back and brief Joshua on how effective God is operating in the land. And it, then she goes on and she says, Now then, now I done said all that, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you you will also deal kindly with my father's house. Now, notice what she says. She doesn't say kindly with me. She has a vision for her whole house. And she says, kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign. Don't just say that so you can get away. I want surety that you guys are going to deal kindly with me. And that you will save my father alive, my father, my mother, my brothers and sisters, my cats, my dogs, my mice, my everything we got. I want y'all to save it alive. And all who belong to them 
and deliver our lives from death because we know how your God acts when you guys come and take over because we have an example of the Amorites. And so she's saying, I want you all to rescue us from this certain death. And then the two men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Now, we understand that you are the, the, the service center for all gossip. We know that everything comes through you. So if you can keep our business shut up and not tell everybody, then everything's going to be okay. So if you make sure that you don't tell our business, we'll make sure that you are taken care of when the time comes. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. Now, the way that Jordan was designed, it was a big uh, square rectangular shape, but it had two walls. It had an outer wall. Then it had about 24 to 36 feet distance, and then it had an inner wall. The outer wall was the stronger wall, and then the inner wall was a wall where, as you can hear, folks have uh, their residence and everything. So that's just like a wall, like with windows and all the other stuff. The outer wall was more like a defensive wall. But what some folks did, they extended their houses that 24 feet and connected it to that outer wall. And it did two things. Number one, it provided reinforcement to the wall because now it was a brace up against that inner wall. And so then, you know, you've been around, this city's been around for a while, so then folks probably put little holes in it and everything that they could probably cover up if we were getting attacked. But they, because of where they were located, she was able to let them down via a rope so that they didn't have to walk back through the city and have to deal with the king's men. Now, I want to point out the fact that these guys go into the city, they go to this location, and this location just happens to have a way for them to escape that no one else probably thought about. If they entered through the main gate or entered through the gate, then everyone would think they would have to exit through the gate. But no, the way this was set up is where they went actually had a different way for them to leave where they were. And so they said, uh, for she said, go into the hills or the posse or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterwards, you may go your way. Remember I said it's about a day and a half out. So them guys were going to ride out a day and a half to the Jordan, realize that them guy, the, the, the two guys probably got away, then they had come back. So that would be about three days. After they came back to the city, then she said, y'all go ahead and do what you're going to do, but I need y'all to hide in the hills for three days. So they hid in the hills for three days. Then, she, then the man said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and your mother, your brother, and all your father's household. 
Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. Then they say, but if you tell our business, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. She ain't waiting until they came back. She put that cord up there immediately. She said, in case something happened, this cord is going to be up here in this window. Then they departed and went to the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also, not only the land, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. So God says, I'm going to give you this whole land. But now God has to give this mission in order for them to understand how to accomplish the vision of having the entire land. So he says, send out a team to go out into the land and to look at it and, and to figure out and give me a report on what we need to do. And he sends out these two individuals. These two individuals discover that we already have the victory in the hearts of the people. The people already are convinced that our God is the king. Our God is the glorious one. Our God has given the Israelites the power to overcome. Now, if you allow me, let me kind of bring this home a little bit closer to us. When God say, shows us or allows us to see what he's going to do in our future, he will give us little things to do along the way. And as we're doing those things along the way, he will cause people to come into our lives to encourage us on what he has caused us to see. He will cause folks to come alongside us. And you've heard expressions why people say things like, I'm not exactly sure. I've never done this before, but there's something different about you. There's something that uh, about you that I just have to help you. I, you know, I just feel compelled to help you because God is kind of working in and on your behalf. Now, that does not preclude that you got knuckleheads out there that know that God's working on your behalf and they don't want it to happen. So they will come up and try to come against you in order to cause what God has shown you not to happen. But God, but Isaiah said it like this. He said that no weapon that's formed against you is going to be able to cause you to fail. The weapon may be formed. The deception may be uh, looking like it's going to cause it not to happen, but God's on your side, so it will happen. And anything that they say against you, that God himself is going to condemn it so that you have the victory in the situation. We look at Rahab. Rahab is, a, is, is doing, think about this. First of all, Rahab 
is not an Israelite. Second of all, Rahab is a woman. And back in that time period, women were not even considered second class citizens. They weren't even considered citizens. They were just considered people. They didn't have any type of uh, uh, stature or status. Okay, so we got this against her. First, she ain't an Israelite. Second of all, she's a woman. Guess what? Third, she a prostitute. You see what I'm saying? So she's got all these negative things, but the one thing that she had was she recognized that God was doing something for the Israelites. And because she recognized it, it caused her to look at them differently. And so God will cause things to happen in your life to really cause you to recognize who he is in your life and what he has the ability to do in your life. So we have to make sure that we are aware that God is working and operating on our behalf so that he can accomplish what he has told you is going to he is going to accomplish. So as we look at this, we see how she sets them up. She protects them. And then she says, y'all got to promise me something because I know this is going to happen. That when you guys come through, that you need to save me and my family. The scripture that goes to my mind is part of our Romans road, which is Romans 10th chapter, the 13th verse. It says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. She was calling upon him and she said, listen, I know your God has the ability to give you the victory. And I want some provision. I want my family to be taken care of, saved, rescued from the pain that is getting ready to come. To even make it more plain, when we, 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 some, some folks are drawn to God by the adversity that they've gone through and realize that they need relief. And they see that the only relief that they can have is in Christ Jesus because they cannot do it when in and of themselves. So they call on God and God comes in and relieves them. Just as Rahab was saying, I really know, I, I'm, I'm really not feeling what the Jericho king wants us to do of resisting. I think that we should just give y'all this land because your God has shown that he has the ability to part water. He has the ability to overcome some of the strongest kingdoms that we have dealt with. And so let us go ahead. If the rest of the kingdom ain't going to do it, me and my family are going to do it. And now some, some, of, some of us have heard Joshua uh, say, I believe it's in the 15th chapter of Joshua. He says, y'all can serve whoever y'all want to serve. But for me and everybody that live in the Joshua house, we're going to serve the Lord. And so we, uh, we grab hold of this and understand this, that when God gives a mission, not only is it to accomplish something, but it's to provide encouragement to us to continue to go forward in what he has called for us to do. Because I'm quite sure when Joshua heard this report that he got more excited about the mission that God had given and the vision that all the tribes would be able to have their own section of land in the land that God has promised. So as we look at this example of a mission that God has launched on them as a part of the vision in which God has already given them, we can understand that God will send little things along the way to keep us encouraged, to keep us motivated, to keep us excited about what 
he has going on. As this as a mission pertains to the church, as God has given the leader the, the mission uh, for uh, the part of the vision, such as our vision is to affect our community for God's glory. As he gives us these different things to do throughout the community that we bind together, combine together, go forward and accomplish it as one team with the ability to operate on and in that mission. So we see how God works this. We un get an understanding of how God works this. And then next week, we're going to look at the result in the New Testament of the effect of when God gives a mission, how it can start off as a little thing and then it becomes a huge thing. One of the things that I do want to finish up with is understand that as you read the genealogy of Jesus, you'll find out that this woman Rahab, the prostitute, is actually a part of Jesus's family. Isn't that something? Jesus has a prostitute as part of his family. Mm. So we, as we understand this, we see how God can use anybody to accomplish his purpose for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for an opportunity to look at your word and know that you will allow things to happen in our lives to cause us to see that the mission that you sent us on, you have already prepared the way for. But you just need us to be the hands, the feet, the voice in this earth in order to make it happen. So as we go forth this week, God, that our ears will be attuned to your voice, that we will know that your hand is upon us and that you will be glorified in all things. We thank you, Father, for it. We honor you for it. And we just thank you, God, that you have set us up to operate, God, in your glory and in your honor. That we will operate as one team with one vision, one mission, and one voice. And it is all to cause it to be on earth as it is in heaven. So we thank you and honor you for it. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.